This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Today on the show, we're grabbing our binoculars and looking toward the sky, trees, or in the case of our producer Java, the mailbox, to get a look at the birds in your area. In studio, we have bird watcher Steve Peterson back with us. We're going to talk about birds we can spot this time of year and also how you can enhance your next bird watching trip. Grab your field guide and join the conversation. Also, Dr. Major here, ready to take some pet questions. The phone number to call is 1 877 MPB Ring. It's 1 877 672 7464 or send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. And a reminder that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursday, it does repeat every Saturday morning at 6. So good morning. Hope everyone's doing well this morning. Good morning. Morning. Good morning. Libby, I think you have some events you want to talk about. Let's see. Yes. Let, we've heard from a few places. Um, Strawberry Plains Audubon Center up in Holly Springs is um, today, this afternoon. So you don't have much time if you're listening <laughs> up there and you want to go to a teacher workshop about bats. And you don't have to be a teacher to go to the workshop, but you need to give them a call if you want to do that. It's this afternoon. It starts at 3.30, and I think this is unusual. It goes from 3.30 to 10.30 at night. Wow. And they will, they'll net some, catch some bats in nets, and um, a biologist will work with the bats, and the attendants cannot touch the bats, of course. You need to have a rabies vaccination if you're going to touch your bats. But So they get to see the bats up close and learn a lot about bats. So it would be a fun way to, for teachers to get those CEU credits if they want to. So that's Strawberry Plains up in Holly Springs. And then uh, the Pascagoula River Nature Center. Uh in fact, they ask us to mention they're open Tuesday through Friday, 9 to 5, and Saturdays, 9 to 3, and closed on Sunday. And for river trips, you and I both learned that. You have to call in advance mm-hmm. and make a reservation. They're pretty popular, so call ahead of time for that. This coming Saturday, July the 28th, from 1 o'clock in the afternoon, 1 to 3, they're going to have a Drawing from Nature workshop which will be outdoors, and you'll get to have experience, and there's an artist there that will give you some tips for the best ways. I'd like to be there for that. And then a couple more. Clinton Nature Center has a water activity area that um, sounds like loads of fun for small children. So if you've, towards the end of the summer here, hard to imagine, but it is, it's, Almost over for school kids, <laughs> poor things. But uh, if they've done everything else and they haven't gone to the Clinton Nature Center, they really should go. And uh, they can bring their bathing suit and play in the water and um, have a great time there. And then the Natural Science Museum, Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, still has the Ripley Believe It or Not exhibit, mm-hmm. which is lots of fun in itself. And tomorrow is the final Fun Friday. It's Final Fun Friday from 10 to 12, and the the topic is weird wild water tricks. So some unusual things that are, and it's, again, all hands-on. Your kids get to play a lot. All right. um, 
Very good. Sounds like lots of stuff to do. And, of course, in the cool of the day, go outside and enjoy the outdoors. <laughs> <laughs> although we haven't uh, here in central Mississippi been blessed with a little bit of cooler weather the last couple of days, although uh, watching the local news yesterday, uh, it's not going to last very long. Apparently yeah. the humidity is ramp- ramping its way back up um, by the weekend, I think, so... Uh, I so you really right. didn't want to get in the car this morning, did you? <laughs> yeah, it was just so nice sitting on the porch. <clears throat> so we got a lot going on uh, today. We're going to be talking with Steve Peterson, our resident bird expert, about the type of birds you're seeing in your yards or maybe near your feeder this time of year. Dr. Major is ready to answer some pet questions as well. The phone lines are open, so give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. We do have an email here to share, and it says, Good morning, I have a ten-and-a-half-year-old yellow lab named Zero. About two years ago, he became afraid of his treats. He would really want them, but as I was hand one to him, he would flinch and close his eyes, sometimes taking it, but other times refusing. Over a time, a couple of weeks or so, he would get over it. He did this three or four times, and it seemed to go away. This week, he became afraid of his food. He ate part of it and stopped, which is very unlike him. I noticed him shaking and trying to take a bite and flinching like there was a snake in his bowl. He let me hand-feed him. He did the same thing for three more feedings. This morning, I fed him in a different bowl, and it went well. Not sure if his fear has passed or if the bowl made a difference. Any ideas of what might be causing this? Very interesting. It could be a number of things that could be involved, and uh, I'll list a couple of them that can't come to my mind. One, it could be a straight phobia of some kind that he's decided that, uh, hey, I'm afraid of it. Probably more realistically, uh, think of this. There could be uh, a cervical uh, problem, in other words, a disc or something in the neck that makes him not want to uh, eat properly. There could be teeth that could be an issue. Uh, certainly that could be. I would recommend, uh, I think they said he was a golden retriever. or Yeah, I think so. Or or large, fairly large dog. And, uh, yellow, lab. yellow lab. And I would suggest an elevated feeding bowl. Uh, and you can buy those at uh, pet stores or you can make one yourself. Just use a heavy box and put the food bowl on top of that. Uh, that might help some. There could be things like uh, something, a new cleaning detergent or something like that used on the bowls could be a po- possibility. The fact that he ate from your hand would make me think that it was up off the floor more than it would be in the food bowl down on the floor. So explore those opportunities or those things. Talk to your vet about it. I'm sure you probably already have. But uh, it may be that this dog at 10 years old is arthritic in some area or could have a tooth problem. So those are all things that come to mind. All right, but yeah, that that, that definitely sounds like a, a, a consultation with the vet to co- probably try to work on some things over the course of time right. and, and kind of narrow down what's going on there. And if all else fails, there is a uh, board-certified veterinary uh, behaviorist at Mississippi State University and does come down to the referral center uh, here in Jackson on request. So that might be an option if things don't work out after talking to your vet. All right. Uh, So our guest today is Steve Peterson. He's our resident bird expert for the day. So if you have a question about the birds in our area this time of year, you can give us a call. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-672. 
7464. Uh, Steve, thanks for joining us. Good to see you again. I had to be back. So what are some of the common birds uh, that people might be seeing in their yard or maybe at their bird feeder this time of year? Well, if it's like my yard, you can have things like towhees and cardinals. And some of those are going to be on their second, maybe even third brood of of young, which might, you know, you see sometimes some birds that look kind of adult, but they're not quite adult, and they're still begging. And that's the previous brood of of birds that are still trying to get everything they can out of their parents before their parents kick them out and <laughs> they have to go find their own territory. Uh, the, but so, the same could even be true with some of our owls. Uh, they, you could have a bunch of several young around with uh, with their parents still, and they'll uh, they'll become enough adult-looking in the fall that the parents will kick them out. I remember when I when we first got married, we moved into a house in Belhaven, and uh, we had a family of owls that came around, and I could always tell the young because they were always bobbing their head trying to get range to you know how long how far away things were, and uh, and they would come around with the parents, and then by the time school started, they were gone. But think- yeah, you could have all sorts of. Any bird that you know, but I, I have a lot of cardinals and and towhees and uh, thrashers and mockingbirds. I have are, tufted yeah. tip mice and yeah. Carolina yeah. wrens thrown yeah. in there yeah. too, and still a lot of indigo buntings. Do the owls have more than one brood a year? No, okay. no. See, they have their their young take about four weeks to from hatching to to being out of the nest, and they stay around with the parents until fall. Whereas the smaller birds, maybe yeah. 10 days, two weeks. You know, um, I'm, I'm not sure there's a corollary here, but I do know that when I graduated from college, my parents moved to upstate New York. So that was their <laughs> way of kicking me out of the nest, I guess. You fledged. <laughs> uh, we need to take a quick break. When we get back, we will continue our discussion with Steve Peterson. Also, we'll talk about how you can enhance your bird feeder experience in your backyard. We've got some open phone lines ready for your call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 We'll be back with more after this. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. We're visiting today with Steve Peterson, who is our resident bird expert for the day. We've got some open phone lines if you'd like to call in with a question or comment. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 
7464. You can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. As I promised, we'll talk about ways to enhance your bird feeder experience in just a few minutes, but we do have a couple of uh, calls to get to. Let's start in Beaumont. Sue has called in today. Good morning, Sue. Good morning. I'd like to ask, uh, <clears throat> well, I'd like to say I wore out a CD of bird calls collated by Roger Tory Peterson. I don't suppose any relation there, homage huh, Peterson. <laughs> I I don't know. My father always used to say the only thing he'd say about his ancestors was his grandfather came over the Canadian border in a hurry. <laughs> so uh, I, I I really don't know. But you know Roger, Roger Tory Peterson, of course. <clears throat> but anyway, uh, I'm I'm thrilled to hear some bobwhite quail out in the woods behind the house. But I haven't heard a <clears throat> excuse me a wood thrush for twelve years since Katrina. So. Are they extinct? Do, do you have a Do you have a recording of their calls that you could play? Well, uh, I think uh, during the interval, a wood thrush just played. I don't know if you could hear it or oh, not. No. I mean, but but uh, the uh, no, they're not extinct. But a lot of their breeding habitat is is somewhat fragmented. They have to have you know everybody has to have a certain size of territory in which to breed, and what with the civilizing, so to speak, of our world, the amount of nice climax woodland forest that we have is is shrinking, and they just don't have the amount that they used to. I've got the same. I've got the same uh, uh, problem. I don't hear wood thrushes very much. If you get into say, if you go to Lafleur's Bluff and you're walking along the nature trail, you're going to have them, but you've got like something 300 some odd acres of of deep bottomland hardwood there whereas in uh uh in say in my yard which has pine trees and sweet gums and such like that I'm just not getting them the way I used to but they're they're around I have them, Sue. I've got in fact I can tell I have two because they'll call from different sides of the I'm house. So yeah. And yes, I love hearing them. That's, I'm sorry that you don't have them to that's, listen that's to. That's my favorite uh, songbird. Is yeah. it, that's the most beautiful uh, bird song I think there is. All right. Uh, and there we go. There we go. Right. This is that's a wood thrush right there. Just for you, Sue. All right. (laughs) Thanks for the uh, the call, Sue. Always good to hear from you. Let's move on next. Uh, We've got Paul in Canton. Good morning, Paul. You're on the air with us. Hi, Paul. You're on the air. Go ahead. Yes, sir. Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Um, I appreciate you taking my call. Um, I have two questions. One of them, in the afternoon, I live in Canton. I'm in an apartment, and... um, they have these small birds that they uh, they fly very fast and rapidly at, at dusk, and they're about the size of a sparrow, but they have kind of like a perfect delta wing on them. And I was wondering which they were. Um, the other question I have is uh, I've got a, a second-floor bal- balcony that I have a perennial <laughs> dove nest on, and the um, the, the doves have uh, I've had, like, this is the fifth um that is hatched out the dove nest this year, and I've got two of them in there. There, I woke up this morning, was going to let the dog out in the balcony, and I got two of them that are tiny. They they look like they're uh, a lot lot smaller than the other ones that I've, I've seen, and uh, so I, I didn't let the dog out, but I put a you know a dish full of water out there for them, and uh, 
then I took the chairs and a tarp and made kind of a shade for them because they're, they're going to bake today. I mean, you know, it's just hot. So should I have done any, put them back in their nest or just leave them alone or I'll uh, wait for your answer? Thank you. Well, uh, if they're, if they've got their feathers and they look like, they look somewhat like an adult bird, you could probably just leave them or put them in a branch, on a branch. Uh, if they're, if they don't have any feathers yet and they're basically just skin and a little bit of down, then, then they might need to go back in the nest if you know where it is. Uh, now as to your first question, I'm, I'd say that my first thought was he might have chimney swifts, which, uh, you would see a lot of around the, the dusk air hours as they're coming back into roost. Or you could have a type of swallow. You see barn swallows a lot around highway intersections. And uh, say if you were if you were coming down I-55, just about every overpass or underpass that you would have, you'll see some very fast flying birds around there. So I would I would guess either chimney swifts or barn swallows, depending on the habitat around the apartment area. Okay. Thanks for your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're visiting today with Steve Peterson and talking about uh, birds that are in Mississippi this time of year. So, um, Steve, for someone who might have a bird feeder in their backyard, uh, what would be some tips uh, that you could give them to make sure they're, they're getting the most out of it for, for their enjoyment, to watch the birds, but also to give the birds um, the food that they need? Well, I've always just used black oil sunflower seeds. That seems to be, of the birds that are going to eat seed, that seems to be what they like best. Another thing is water, not only water, but running water. That seems to attract uh, birds. They seem to just, well, bad pun, flock flock to it. (laughs) Uh, But that's probably the two main things. You know, and there are several places online where you can um, see how to make a dripper Mm -hmm. so that you don't have to. You don't have to invest a lot to get a, a fountain or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, maintenance, I mean, I guess obviously you would, might need to clean it out periodically. Oh, yeah. And if it's a hummingbird feeder, uh, yes, yeah, so once a week. Okay. Especially, and you're gonna, it's going to get used up, especially with the hot weather we're having right now. It's going to get used up quickly. And if you could remind us, uh, if, if on the hummingbird feeder, what would you recommend putting in one of those? Uh, just sugar and water. Okay. I would not red dye. They don't need to red dye. They're coming to the feeders. Most of the feeders are red anyway. They're not coming to the color of the liquid. They're coming to a, what they think is a flower. And, uh, you know, you know, some people have reported hummingbirds, you know, coming to their cap, their red cap they're wearing, or, or maybe they've got something red and the hummingbirds just coming around it. Uh, but so they're coming to the flower. They're not coming to the to the liquid. Okay. Uh, got some calls to get to. Next, we go to Michael in Waveland. Good morning. <laughs> you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Um, I'm hoping you're talking about dogs as well. Yes. I have a uh, corgi Jack Russell mix, and he's 11 years old. He acts completely normal, but I notice that when he's sleeping with me, he wheezes. And I was wondering if that's an issue, like would he have asthma or something? A lot of the dogs will do that when they're asleep. He's not doing it when he's awake, right? Does he do it when he's awake? 
I'm sorry, what now? Does he do the wheezing when he's awake, like up and uh, moving around? He's, he's not losing any weight or anything. No. He's but, acts perfectly normal. Right, but he only wheezes when he's in bed asleep, right? Yes, yes. Okay, okay. I, I would say it's probably nearly normal as long as he's breathing okay. And uh, it, at that age, he's really would be wise to have a good geriatric checkup just to see. But I suspect that's normal. I have a, a puppy that will actually kind of snore occasionally or make some wheezing sounds. But then uh, when they're up and around, uh, they're perfectly normal. So I suspect this is more normal than not. All right, Michael, uh, thanks for All your right, call. Thank you. Good to hear from you this morning. Let's move on. Next, uh, Lee is called in from Memphis. Good morning, Lee. You're on the air with us. Good morning. Thank you. Um, I have a question, a couple of things about, uh, I've always had a lot of birds in my yard, and um, there's a lot of oak trees, large trees where I live, and um, there's some stray cats um, that people, I guess, have been feeding, and I guess I've had some litters, (laughs) and uh, the birds have just kind of not, they're not, the robins, uh, they always had like, I think, two broods a year um, during the season, and there's just baby cardinals and they would always gather in my backyard, and between, and I'm not sure what's going on, but between the cats and the spray, yeah, my neighborhood, everyone sprays uh, their yards, and um, and I've noticed a big decline in uh, in the birds, and uh, not just the birds, but the butterflies and the bees and just night um, lightning bugs and just things that would normally be alive this time of the year, especially the birds, because I always look forward to their songs. And I don't hear their song anymore. So it makes me really sad, whatever it is. Well, it could be. Uh, cats could be one of the problems. There, somebody read somewhere that somebody considered the feral cat to be the most efficient predator in the world. Yeah. Uh, and if they're not being uh, neutered, then you're not going to, you're just going to have more and more of the problem because one of my, for a vet that I talked to, said a cat's either in heat or it's pregnant, and yeah. uh, that's close. Uh, so that's that's one possibility. Then again, spraying—I don't know what could be being sprayed. We we don't have it much in in this area, right. but uh, and if you want another thing, could be one of the causes that I mentioned uh, in the wood thrush question: habitat fragmentation. Maybe the area around the neighborhood is being built up. Uh, I know the area that I live in, which I've been in since 1965, is uh, it's a lot more fragmented than it used to be. And things like we used to hear Chuck Will's Widows at night, that right. just uh, a couple houses over, they're yeah. not there anymore. And at yeah. least I don't hear them. So that that's right. a possibility. On the other hand... Wildlife will be in urban places if if uh, if at all possible. I mean, I live in in Jackson City limits, and we've had deer and coyotes and uh, foxes in our areas, and so that there's all sorts of stuff that could be. Again, there could be. I don't know what the weather's like recently for you, but weather could always have a problem. They could be, uh, you know, the heat. Right, right, right where you are, just you know, middle of the delta. Yeah. Humidity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sorry, I can't offer any more. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for your call, Lee. 
<clears throat> this is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're visiting today with Steve Peterson, who is our bird expert for the day. Dr. Major here, ready to take some pet questions as well. And we always like to hear your experiences with wildlife, your brushes with wildlife when you go out. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we get back, we'll take your phone calls. Also, we'll talk about some things you need if you want to go on a bird watching trip. What are the essentials to take along with you? You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Back with more after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. We're visiting today with Steve Peterson, who is our resident bird expert for the day, and we've talked about uh, some of the birds that you'll see in Mississippi this time of year. We've got some open phone lines if you'd like to join in on our conversation today. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. You can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. Steve, before the break, I mentioned uh, things to take on a bird watching trip, and start out by saying, I guess if you've never been but want to find a group that's going, uh, I would imagine Audubon chapters across the state would be a, a good place to exactly. start. Exactly. I I would check with the. We've got several chapters around the state, uh, all all the way up and down. Uh, our local one here in Jackson has uh, birding field trips on the first Saturday of each month in Lafleur's Bluff, and if you can go to the Facebook page, they'll tell you we don't. I don't think we have any this this month. We may have one next month, but yeah, uh, I think they skipped July, yeah, June, they, July, and August, yeah, don't they? It's just yeah. so hot. Yeah. So, um, so I think I think September will be the the first one. Uh, so you just check for your local one. Okay. Uh, for beginners, things to keep in mind, obviously, I think you would want to dress comfortably, good shoes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Because, yes, good shoes, uh, comfortable clothes. If you're in the woods, I'd say long trousers uh, so that you, you know, don't get bitten and scratched and, su- and such like that. Uh, and water. Mm-hmm. I would take water. I usually take a couple of two liters uh, water bottles with me where, whenever I go out. Uh, and then, of course, uh, a hat for the sun. Uh, binoculars? Binoculars, yes. You can, they, you can get all grades of binoculars. Uh, you could stop at a camera store or a thing, place like Wild Birds Unlimited or places like that and uh, check them out, I would start with some fairly inexpensive ones. Mm -hmm. I personally use, I still use inexpensive ones because I'm hard on them. I've tended to drop some nice ones, and I I really, so I just decided, well, I know what the bird looks like by now. 
Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to look at it and confirm it. And uh, so if I get a really good look at a bird with my binoculars, I know I've seen something. And the other thing, too, if you go with uh, Audubon or a group, obviously there are going to be some people that more experienced along with you. And, mm-hmm. the, and I would imagine it's a lot of helping out. And I know that um, when I, we did the nature trail once at the museum, it was my brother, actually, but the, he and my sister-in-law had seen a bird, and they kept saying, it's over there, it's over there. And finally, they had to kind of point me, you know, grab my head. It's like, it's like over there. And it's like, oh, okay, I finally see it. So. That's one of the one of the uh, beginning birders often have, you know, they find they have trouble seeing where it is. And uh, uh, it's just a matter of experience. A lot of times, if the thing, the ones that show up, that, that, that are easy to see, like if you're in Lafleur's Bluff, a prothonotary warbler, uh, a, you know, a golden-colored bird that, that's loud, or some of the bigger birds like the egrets and the herons. And, and that those things can get are the ones that you can start on and learning and, and the, the yard birds, if you're backyard birds, and because they're all over the place. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's just a case of persistence. And gradually it just it soaks in and you learn to look where somebody's learning. But on the other hand, sometimes, uh, <clears throat> it, you know, I'm, there's a lot of times I miss birds. Mm-hmm. I just don't get up there and, and spot them as easy. That's one of the good things about going in a group, too, yeah. because it, it's like everybody else kind of take turns finding something and it. You stay more active that way. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's a certain size of group where the more people there are, it gets to you, you know you see a little bit less as a mm-hmm. number of species. But uh, just w- look and listen, mm-hmm. and uh, and just and gradually you get to it. And I think you're right, listening, because a lot of times you're going to hear uh, a bird maybe a long time before you're able to actually see it, and that's because the birds are need to be camouflaged every once in a while. Yes, yes. Uh, I do half my birding by ear mm-hmm. by now. I I hear it, and I know it's there. And this time of year, it's more important. The leaves are, you know, are, the trees are all leaved exactly. out, and birds are nesting, so they're not calling as much. They're not trying to attract a mate, and they've already established their territories. So it's it makes it harder to find them. Exactly. But yeah. if you don't hear them, it's really hard to find. Mm-hmm. You, you, I guess what, if you start seeing something flying back and forth the same pattern, that's what saves you in the summer, I think, is because they are feeding babies, so they're going to the same place. I find if you can just kind of sit down in the yard chair and watch for a little while, you'll start seeing, okay, there's a little movement over here all the time, and there's a little movement over here all the time. Then train your binoculars on those areas, and you're going to, usually you're going to see a parent feeding and, and mentioning sitting in one place is a great place because then the birds come to you. This you time just, of year, walking, you don't see as much, I think, yeah, as you do if you exactly, just find a good place exactly. to sit. Maybe walk in the woods until you see, you just notice a lot of peripheral activity, then sit down for a while and it starts and happening. Just, yeah, and just sit and watch. And another thing is you if you like a certain place, keep going to it. Uh, my favorite place to bird is... Lafleur's Bluff, mm-hmm. you know, with the museum trail, the trails in in Mays Lake area, all of that, and I've birded that since the '60s, and uh, when it was a private area, and uh, it's just 
a fascinating place. You just see always are seeing something new or you're seeing sort of like old friends mm-hmm. and uh uh and it, you so then you get to know the place, then you'll start knowing or what to expect, and you know when something's rare. I, you know, I think the idea, you're right where you were saying just the experience because I, you know, that whole idea of stop and smell the roses. I think a lot of us there's this activity; these birds are you know doing their thing all around us all the time, but we for one reason or another have tuned it out. So I think if you do it more and more, as as Libby said, mm-hmm. if you begin to notice. The you know the motion or something you 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 track it down and that kind of thing. So it sounds like it would be a lot of fun, kind of just at each time you go, you get a little bit more uh, comfortable and knowledgeable, and and the experience gets better every time. I would yeah. imagine. And if, I would say learn learn the calls. Uh, you you have you can have all sorts of fun just learning the calls, and sometimes you'll be watching television and you'll hear a call, and you know that doesn't belong there. <laughs> yeah. uh, and some of my favorite shows are really bad about about having birds that don't belong. And um, also in this heat, you can watch from your car or you can watch mm-hmm. birds from your house if you've got good windows. And when you put up feeders, think about that. I know I've had to move feeders before when I realized I can't see these from inside at all. <laughs> you know, move it over a little. Make yourself exactly. some places exactly. to watch from inside your house. And if you also plant the kind of plants that attract birds, mm-hmm. then you'll have your feeder and you'll have some nesting areas. And then again, you start noticing, ah, these birds are, this. the bird, the cardinal comes to the feeder and he always goes to the left right there. Then that's where you probably mm-hmm. got a bird nest. You need to put your binoculars up there and start watching. Oh, well, and Libby mentioning birding from a car. There's plenty of places like reservoirs and lakes that have roads, and you can bird from the car, and you can see a lot of, like, wading birds, uh, you know, pre- birds of prey, some of the larger birds, that, you know, the herons, egrets, uh, some of the rails, a lot of these uh, birds, and because they don't necessarily, a lot of these animals don't necessarily feel the car's a threat. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, can I tell my story about the bird rescue? Sure. One of our listeners uh, last week sent a a picture of a baby bird that had fallen from a nest in her they're close to her driveway, and it it was obviously a um, a raptor of some kind. It looked like a, a possibly a little owl or a hawk, and it was starting to get feathered mm-hmm. out, so it wasn't too bare. And uh, so I asked for a picture of the adult, and it was pretty obvious. It was a Mississippi kite. And one of her neighbors, she moved it into the shade, which is always a good thing to do if a baby bird has fallen. Move it in the shade, kind of guard the area to keep dogs and cats away from it. And the mother started calling, of course, immediately and did come down to, to feed the baby and comfort the baby a little bit. Her neighbor thought of a wonderful thing to do threw a rope over a tree limb close to where the mother was was sitting calling for the baby, put the baby into a small laundry basket and hoisted it up to that limb and tied it off. And then the last pictures they sent me, the mother Mississippi kite was sitting on the edge of the um 
of the basket, of the laundry basket in the tree tending the baby. So I thought that's a, a really good one for all of us to remember. I've told people to put them in a shoebox and wedge it up in a tree limb before mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. I, that's yeah. what my grandmother would do when I was a kid. But the laundry basket thing is really a good one. <laughs> and if I might add a comment on that, the Mississippi kite is a really beautiful bird. It's a slate gray uh, all over. And uh, it has beautiful red eyes. Hmm. And that you know you've seen something if you can see the red eyes. And an interesting call. So yeah, it's a, it's interesting call. And, then we, and they are all over the place now, right now because they're, they're, the young are getting out of the nest and they're out. You see them soaring around overhead and they're catching insects, things like cicadas and, and such like grasshoppers. And they'll eat them on the wing. And so if you're watching one and it's soaring and you see the head down, go down, and you see the foot go up, it's it's eating. Hmm. And uh, there's an interesting story. They, they're all they're, they're pretty widespread from this area on up into the Midwest. Uh, but the reason it's called a Mississippi kite is the first one was collected in the early 1800s by Alexander Wilson in Natchez. And he named it the Mississippi Kite. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're visiting today with Steve Peterson and uh, been talking about birds, but also Dr. Major's here ready to take some pet questions. The number to call if you'd like to join the conversation is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. You can email the show, animals at mpbonline.org. Stay tuned because after the break, we're going to play some bird songs and we'll see if you can figure out what bird songs we're playing. We'll do that after this break on Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. We're visiting today with Steve Peterson, who is our resident bird expert. So we've been talking about the birds that you will find in your yard or in your feeders this time of year in Mississippi. Got some open phone lines and some time left in the show. If you'd like to work in a question, it's one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to animals at mpbonline dot org. Got some calls to get to, but first let's uh, play maybe just one bird song, uh, and we'll see what we'll do. Is we'll play it for a few minutes. Well, for not a few minutes, but we'll play it. We'll get you a chance to hear it, and then playing along at home, guess it, and we will tell you. Uh, what it is after we play it. So, Java, why don't you go ahead and cue up the first one for us? Uh, this first one should be an easy one if you have a, a bedroom window. I mean, you maybe heard this one before. All Any right. guesses? Anybody in? Oh, well, I was going to see if. We had any people calling, but if if you want me to 
We'll just let folks play long enough. What 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 did we hear? That that sounds familiar to me, but I have no idea what it is. Oh yeah, well it's a believe it or not, it you could call it a small colorful crow if you wanted to. <laughs> it's a blue jay. Okay. I know that's one of the things I can remember my dad trying to take a nap on Sunday afternoon, <laughs> yeah. and especially when the pecans were ready to start, uh, they start working on the pecans. Uh, you'd hear that it's almost impossible to take a nap with those. And a lot of times you hear more than one. Yeah. Right. right. And they're they're eating figs in my yard, right? They're kind of like the crows too. They'll alert on an owl. Oh yes. uh, That sort of thing. They find an owl. I I once watched and a blue jay landed right next to a barred owl. It was mobbing it, calling it and the owl looked at him and grabbed him and flew off. (laughs) (laughs) Enough of that. All right, so we got a couple more to play. We'll do that through the rest of the show, but uh, we've got some calls to get to as well. So we begin again on the phone lines in Jackson with Jim. Good morning, Jim. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Could you talk about what types of commercial bird seeds I should put in my feeder? Is it true that for big birds I would normally use larger seeds, or would I be better off with a mixture? Well, as I, I earlier I said that I my, in my personal experience I found a black oil sunflower seed works uh, best. Just plain black oil sunflower seed. I've the the striped uh, sunflower seeds don't seem to uh, uh, get the attention of the birds. At least the ones at my feeders. Uh, now there are some specialty type seeds like the thistles for goldfinches. Uh, but we don't have any goldfinches right now. They're up north uh, making new goldfinches. And, uh, but I, as I've always just used black oil sunflower seed after I wasted time on the, on the strikes. And what about suet? Is that uh, something that's attractive to birds? That's uh, Woodpeckers like that. So if you like your woodpeckers, put some out. All right, Jim, thanks for your call. Um, I hope that uh, birds have an easier time getting to the sunflower seed than I than I do. That's one thing why uh, I I don't like sunflower seeds. Is first of all, you know, I know some people that can put like ten in their mouth and swirl them around with their tongue and do all that. <laughs> yeah. I have the hardest time, and you come up with this tiny little seed, and I'm thinking this is way too much work for a, a little re- reward. So hopefully the birds are a little bit better at that than I am. Oh yeah, they've got. Uh They've got beaks adapted for it. In fact, they can bite the mess out of you if you were handling one. I love to see the little titmice and other small birds. They'll actually hammer the yeah. seed uh, to open it up. And uh, mm-hmm. then there's a lot on the ground, too, that uh, others can pick up. Yeah, you you do have to be careful. If, if it's left on the ground, clear it up clear because it up, you're going to yeah. attract rodents. Nice, yeah. Okay. Uh, off to Hattiesburg we go. Betty's called in today. Good morning, Betty. Go ahead. Good morning. I have a pair of what I think are cowbirds in my yard, and I like watching them, but a friend told me that cowbirds steal other birds' nests. Is that true? Well, they don't actually steal the nest. What they do is they will lay their eggs in another species list. They're what's known as a brood parasite is the term. And the the, the young cowbird hatches out of the egg earlier than the other species and grows faster and larger than the other species and may actually push uh, some of the the other species young out of the nest. And the parent bird, it comes to an open mouth and it feeds the open mouth. 
and so the so the cowbird uh, manages to uh, get ahead of the of the regular nesting nestlings, and uh, so it has a better chance of survival. But uh, it do pardon both parents come to, do both parents come to the nest during this time period? No, uh, not the cowbirds. They they lay, they lay the eggs and they go off about their cowbird business. Uh, oh my goodness! Yeah. So a cardinal might be feeding a cowbird baby. Yes, yes. Uh, the the European cuckoo does the same sort of thing. There's a famous uh, picture of a European equivalent to our titmouse feeding this big cuckoo who's the size of a blue jay uh, uh, sitting on a nest. It's grown it's grown bigger than the nest, and the oh and and the bird I think is actually on the the cuckoo's back and and Whoa. feeding it still. One well, redeeming value for a cowbird, they have a beautiful song. Yes, yes, they do. Well, let's hope so because they're yes. certainly not bear, bird parents of the year. That's no, for they sure. are definitely not. <laughs> no. yeah. uh, let's do this. We've got Debbie on the line from Wesson. Debbie, we'll get to your call in just a minute, but wanted to do another bird call. So, Java, if you could uh, cue up another one for us. All right. That's an easy one. Yeah. I think I, even I could I, – see, I want to guess, but then if I'm wrong, I'm going to look dumb. But it sounds like a crow. It is a crow. Yeah, American crow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which are probably one of the more intelligent birds. Oh, they, they, defi- they definitely are. Uh, they are very intelligent. Uh, however, they like – they do come to imitations of their calls. And I've uh, had fun – Having them circle around me, they 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 mob crows too, uh, and uh, but they're also yeah they are very intelligent. All the crows, the jays, they're very intelligent. It's said that a crow can count up to three, hmm. and uh, but any number above three, it doesn't process. But it, in other words, if you supposedly if you have four people go into a blind and three of them come out, the crow will think everybody's gone. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know how scientifically accurate that is, but it was given, it was told to me by a recognized authority. Huh, that's interesting. Uh, let's get our final call this hour, and it goes to Debbie in Wesson. Debbie, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Hi, hi. thanks for taking my call. Going back to hummingbirds, I have a question. The sugar water ratio, how much sugar to how much water is the best thing at this time of year? when you don't have a lot blooming in your yard for the hummingbird? Uh, well, actually, I think probably one to four would be about right. You don't need, they don't need as much energy from it from it during the hot sit time of the year because they won't lose as much energy. They're okay, probably not, also going... All year round. Yeah. They're probably also going to be feeding young and feeding them things like insects. So they're not just eating, you know, they, they eat a lot of insects. One cup sugar to four cups water. I would think so. I would oh, think so, yeah. That sound a lot better on my budget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's during the winter months, I think, that uh, I'm not an expert on hummers, uh, but it's during the, the winter uh, months that you might need to that up one the to sugar. Three. Yeah, yeah, one to three, something like that. Because we do get hummingbirds in winter. Uh, we get... Western species somehow come over head east instead of south. 
Okay, I just I just know that I have some here all year round. Yes. Um, uh huh. Well, you okay. pr- you probably got you probably got ruby throat during the during the spring and summer months, and uh, maybe uh, something like some of the western species, rufous hummingbirds. I think are probably the most common of the winter hummers that we have. But we have uh, several different kinds. Well, that helps a lot because that half to half ratio is really thick. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. One to two is too much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hummingbirds are already on their own sugar rush anyway. (laughs) You know, they they scoot around, use up all that energy, and uh, but they're they're fascinating little birds to watch. I had once I had a second job in a building supply place, and a hummingbird got in, and so I took a went to the gardening department and borrowed a woman's. grocery cart full of little uh purple plants and drove it around rode it around under the hummingbird and he came down and i walked him outside of the store that way (laughs) so yeah they they are fascinating little birds all right uh, debbie thanks for your call uh we are just run out about a time i'd like to thank uh, steve peterson being for being with us this morning and uh, hope you had a lot of fun trying to identify the bird calls with us. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funding provided in part by generous contributions from listeners like you. To hear today's show or previous show, one way to find it is to go to mpbonline.org slash creaturecomforts. Our show is produced by Java Chapman. For Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest Steve Peterson, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned. Up next at 10, it's MPB's Season Pass. That's followed by Southern Remedy at 11. And we'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.